Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bazzara. I'm your host. And today I have with me Johnny Womack of Big Boy Cookies from Statesboro, Georgia. How are you doing today, Johnny? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And and before I get started in the question with Johnny, I just want to let everyone in the audience know thank you for all your support and, and thank you for sharing the podcast with everyone and passing it on. You know, people like Johnny come on here and entrepreneurs come on here and they, they take their time and they share with you their experiences. So please, you know, pass on their message. They do it for free. But really, just pass on as to many people as you can because you never know who it might impact. So, again, thank you, Johnny, for being on the episode. I really appreciate it. And uh, the audience, I really appreciate you guys. And p- please keep passing on the message and passing on the podcast and sharing them. Uh, just as I was telling Johnny, we actually are in over 31 countries now uh, being downloaded and streamed. So that's a pretty awesome accomplishment. Uh, and that's all because the entrepreneurs like Johnny who volunteer to be on this podcast. So show them love for sure. All right, Johnny. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, so Johnny, tell me a little bit about you and your background and, and, and where you're from, and then we'll sort of get into the business, but tell me a little bit about you and, and where you're from. All right. Let's see how quick I can do it. Uh, I grew up in central Florida in a small town called Winter Garden, just outside of Orlando. And then uh, in high school, we moved to Claremont, Florida, which is still central Florida. Um, and after I graduated high school, we moved to uh, South Georgia. And my dad has had a car dealership my entire life. So he's always, like, been working his ass off, like, far back as I can remember. He like His only day off was Sunday. <laughs> He was like at it six days a week from like sunup to sundown. Uh, he managed rental properties and all kind of stuff. Um, anyway, so we had a Chrysler dealership up here. Um, I worked there until 2007, and I decided I wanted to go to nursing school, so I became an LPN, uh, which that was one of my failures. I failed uh, the nursing program the third quarter in uh, so i was like three quarters of the way into the program and it was the ob and pediatric stuff and i was like oh, i've made it over halfway i don't have to study as hard i was sorely mistaken i had to reapply and start back over from the beginning uh but anyway i passed the second time because it it's you know you have to apply yourself um anyway uh did nursing or i graduated nursing i took care of my grandmother while she was on hospice uh, met my wife who I had known, but never really like her, her father and one of my cousins that I was really close with were really good friends. There's a big age gap. I have a very large family, but, um, met her, uh, we started dating and we got married within like a year (laughs) that we started dating. Um, did my nursing career for a while for about two or three years. I bounced around to a lot of different jobs trying to find like that sweet spot where I really enjoyed going to work uh because I mean nursing to me is it it was such like a a great like you got paid decent but like whenever you get to help someone and truly see them through a situation like that's that's better than 
than any amount of money you can get. Um, but I really found like my place in the nursing field was a uh, wound care. I enjoyed it. I really liked doing it. I liked seeing the progress of the healing tissue and all that stuff. And yeah, there was some gross parts to it, but for the most part, I, I really enjoyed that. And, uh, I moved around to a couple different jobs doing that. And then, uh, I was, uh, we, I was working at a nursing home doing room care and we had a new administration person come in and they were cutting the budget down to sort of trim the fat and all this and that. And since I had been hired as a wound care nurse, I was like, I had gotten, I was getting paid more. So they're cutting the budget. They, uh, I left there and, uh, got a job with a, uh, a marketing company selling uh, com- custom compounds from a pharmacy that it was my father-in-law's pharmacy, but I didn't really work for my father-in-law. I worked for the guy that he had hired, um, which he made a bu- he made sure that I knew he was not hiring me because I was Trent's son-in-law because he could care less. Uh, he hired me because he, he said, I could see it in your eyes. You had something to prove you, you know, young and just had that, amped up energy and uh, my demeanor with people is I, I was another reason was because I understood the drug the processes of what it would do for the patients and how to talk to doctors and nurses to write the prescriptions that we needed them to write or whatever uh, to help their patients um, so I did that for four years and I loved it I loved getting out meeting new people going into doctor's offices, talking to nurses, talking to doctors, sort of showing them all the processes that we could do and that we could make for them. Like I had to memorize like 50 different uh, products because we had a topical aid. We had a um, a nasal thing. We had wound care stuff. We had like, you name it, we could pretty much do it. We did uh, hormone replacements for men and women, uh, did all that stuff. And in 2015, that all kind of the insurance, every year that I did it, more insurance companies stopped paying for it. Uh, So I was 100% commission based and I was, I did well, but uh, with the more and more insurance dropping by the last year, my paycheck had been cut by like 90%. Oh, wow. And I, uh, while I was doing that, though, offices that were writing for me, I would make them cookies because I loved being in the kitchen and learning new techniques. I watched Food Network all the time, um, but I really liked baking, and I did it some whenever I was younger. Like I'm pretty sure I've got a picture of me somewhere, uh, like wearing a diaper, sitting on the counter, making brownies or something. You know, like I was a uh, very small. I think I had a Superman cape on or something. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I really enjoyed cooking, and I thought that these offices are taking the time to write my product where they could just write anything off the shelf. You know, they liked me. They liked our product. Um, and I just wanted to give more of a personal touch, so I started making uh, oatmeal butterscotch cookies because that was one of my favorite things growing up. You never saw them in the store. And I was like, man, I, you know, 
this is cool. We can make, I can make stuff for these offices. It's not going to cost me a ton of money to make it because I'm doing it all myself. Uh, and then it dawned on me how expensive it actually was to make cookies. <laughs> but I felt like that was the best route for me because I enjoyed it. I like it. It didn't feel like work. You know, I was, I would work uh, Monday through Thursday and then Friday morning I would bake the cookies and then make rounds on that. Uh, so I started out with oatmeal butterscotch and chocolate chip. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm making my own thing. I don't have to play by the rules, you know, anything goes. And so then I did like a, uh, I started working on a, an oatmeal cookie. Uh, but my, one of my cousins, <clears throat> he was obsessed with craft caramel bites, the little round balls. And he's like, you need to do something with this. And I was like, yeah, I could probably do something with that. And I started doing, uh, I would buy sliced apples, like dried sliced apples. And well, I started out with freeze dried apples and then I went to dried apples and I would chop those up and put them in. And I worked on that recipe and worked on it and worked on it for like about a year straight, uh, just kind of playing around with it here and there. And then I would start taking that out to offices because I, that was our, one of our first like big boy signatures. Oh, also, we came up with Big Boy Cookies in, like, 2015. Because whenever you go in somewhere, and I don't know if you've ever worked in an office, like, where people would bring stuff in to you, but as a drug rep, you kind of do that all the time. And I've also worked in a doctor's office and had that happen. And if somebody walks in with a plate, like, wrapped in saran wrap, like, that's nice. But you're not, you're not as willing to eat that as you would be something that was in a bakery box with a label on it. Yeah, that's true. That's so, very true. So, uh, I feel like I went from my backstory into how I started the cookie company. Like, <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, no, to keep going. I love it. I, I love exactly how it ties together. And I didn't realize the backstory was so intertwined. So let's keep talking about cookies. And, uh, so, you, okay. you started the so company that, to put them in a bakery box. That was kind of how we segued. Yep. Yeah, we, ne- we didn't, like, get it copyrighted. We didn't do anything with it. I was just like, we've got to come up with something. Like, And I was thinking about, like, the bearded baker because I've always had a, I've had a beard more than I've not had a beard since I've been an adult. Uh, so that was already, like, a thing. And I was like, well, uh, I started, like, thinking back, and I've, I've seen some stuff where, like, people take – names and things that really used to bother them and they've turned it into a positive and so growing up i've always been i've always worn huskies let's just say that (laughs) i was always the big kid and my brother who's older than me we were almost the same size from the time that i i was like six like he wasn't that much bigger than me but he's taller than me and he's uh in really good shape and i am not (laughs) Uh, so he always called me big boy. Come on, big boy. Let's go. Come on, big boy. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And I don't know that just that name stuck out. And I was like, big boy cookies. And I was like, because I'm big boy, I make all the cookies. We'll do my own recipes. Um, which it technically should be big boy's cookies. But I, I felt that that was too much of that Z sound in the word. And I'm like, modern day grammars can be overlooked. So big boys possessive for cookies. <laughs> uh-huh. 
uh, and my wife was like 100% with me. Like she, I kind of told her a very rough idea of how I thought the logo would look. And she like made it happen and it was great. And I made cookies. She did all of the online stuff. Like she did our, our website. She did everything on there. And that's kind of how the, the back end of it worked. And, but we were still, I was just doing it from home, like as a, a passion project, I guess. I made like probably six or seven recipes, uh, like uh, had chocolate chips, salted caramel brownie, which is a double chocolate cookie, but it has a hazelnut and chocolate, uh, dark chocolate and caramel. We had a maple bacon bourbon, which is a chocolate chip cookie with bacon and bourbon in it. Uh, the caramel apple, uh, peanut butter banana. Those were like all the originals. Uh, now I've got like, I think I was counting it the other day. I've got like over 30 recipes that I've made up over the years. And uh, so how do you do and, that? Do you just make all of them for, I mean, I know you have a store as well as a trailer and we'll get into that, but all 30 recipes, how do you decide which ones you have out and which ones you don't? Do you have some that are more popular than others? So, uh, the last, the last one, well, not the, not the most recent, but the one before that was lemon poppy seed. Uh, we did a poll on our web, on our Facebook page and asked people like, Hey, what's a crazy flavor combo that you guys think we, big boy could turn into a cookie. And I mean, we got stuff all over the board, like jalapeno apple and like, uh, a gorgonzola rosemary thing. And like all, all kind of like crazy stuff. And somebody wrote lemon poppy seed and then another person and then another person. We had like 30 people write in lemon poppy seed. So I, we narrowed it down. And I, I mean, I just, we did like a, a contest all for it almost where uh, lemon pot, it got down to lemon poppy seed, carrot cake, or tiramisu. And so the night before, like I was letting it come down to the absolute wire to try to make something. Uh, because I've been doing it long enough now that I kind of know how to get the flavors that I want to out of stuff. So the night before the, uh, the big, because we were going to do a come into the store, taste test and vote and then rank them how you like them or whatever. So I wanted to do something really different that I hadn't really done before. So I made, I decided I wanted to do a second step to the cookie for all of them. So for the lemon poppy seed, it's super dense. It's, it's almost like, uh, like my, my, one of my grandmothers used to make a, a lemon pound cake and had the lemon glaze on top. And I remember that lemon glaze was like heaven, <laughs> you know, it's like, like super condensed, uh, like lemonade or something. And it was just so good to me. And I wanted to do that for the lemon poppy seed, the carrot cake. I couldn't figure out how to get a cream cheese, like chunk into it without going through like 30 steps so i was like well i'll make a spice cake base with carrots i didn't do any raisins because i don't really i don't particularly care for raisins and i don't they're not exactly good for you anyway all they are is just like sugar uh which the cookies have enough sugar in them so anyway carrot cake and i did a uh a cream cheese and rum icing on the top because, uh, you know, our, our thing is finally a cookie for grown-ups. So we add alcohol to some of our cookies. We try to 
And it's really not about the alcohol. A lot of people think we have marijuana in them. It's, it's not about that. It's about the flavor that you get out of it. And yeah, they are, I mean, we, they have a little bit more like of a touch of salt to them than like your basic cookie. And so it's a balancing act between sweet and salty. So have you ever had ice cream with potato chips? Yeah, it's delicious. Or pretzels. Yeah, it, yeah. see, that, that balance back and forth. So that's kind of what we try to do with our cookies is see how far we can push it. So anyway, uh, carrot cake, got a rum and cream cheese ice. And, and then the tiramisu I did as, like, super tiny, like the size of a, uh, a quarter uh, sandwich cookies. And I did a, uh, let's see, I had coffee shortbread cookie with a uh, marscapone and amaretto uh, frosting in the middle. And it also had uh, coffee in that. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it, they were all pretty good. But people came in and voted, and Lemon Poppy Seed won. Uh, like, if it was just something that I've came up with on my own, uh, banana pudding was one of them. And the way that I come up with that stuff, sometimes you can look on Pinterest and see if there's something similar. But I made that one in, in the spring of 2017, and there was nothing anywhere on the Internet about a banana pudding cookie. And I was like, okay, let's see if I can do this. So I did, and it's one of our top-selling cookies. But we are in South – I'm in South Georgia, and, I mean, I've done the entire state of Georgia, some stuff in South Carolina, some stuff in Florida. That is one of the cookies that everybody's like – it's like a go-to. It's like – Chocolate chip, salted caramel brown, banana pudding. Those are the top three everywhere we go. Um, and it's just, just figuring it out. I mean, you make a batch. I make like a small batch, uh, like say 12 to 24 cookies in a small batch. Make that, see how it tastes. If I'm unsure about it, like I want to put it out. But like, if I'm like, that's not bad. I think people would like it. I'll put it out in the store. I had that option now before it was, I got to load it up and I've got to go to about 20 people that I know eat really good food all the time. And I'm like, what do you think about this? Hey, try this, see what you think. So it was always just going to family and friends that I really trust their opinion and I value their opinion to see where the cookies would land. Uh, and that, that's been some of the stuff I kind of trust myself now and my wife. I mean, She's, I mean, she's been a rock the whole time. Like, I always knew I could depend on her. She would taste stuff, and she's honest with me. Like, she's like, that's not good. <laughs> or that is, you know, that's, that, that's good, or you need to go back and try something a little different. Uh, so having, having her has been a huge, huge part of it um, because she, she basically handled – all of the office, she's like, I want you to focus on the cookies. I got the rest of this. She's actually a nurse also. She's an RN. Uh, she got her RN after we got married. And uh, some of her nursing, like, we, she'd take cookies to some of her nursing buddies or whatever and let them try it. And they'd be like, yeah, that's, that's not bad. Or I mean, nobody, a lot of times in the South, people are more worried about being polite than they are uh, other places in the world, I guess. Um, and not, not that that's just, I mean, there's a reason it's Southern hospitality. 
you know, so you're always trying to be polite, make people feel good and all this and that. So uh, I always try to tell them, like, look, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like, I've, I've grown up in the car industry. I've been a nurse. Like, I have pretty thick skin. Also, I'm a younger brother. That thickens up your skin a good bit, too. <laughs> yep. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I well, think that's pretty much well, I should tell you, in, yeah. in our household, well, Deborah loves cookies, but our household as a whole, we love the shit out of some cookies. So it's our favorite dessert yeah. in my household. And just the creativeness that you have um, and the creativity to uh, make all those different types of cookies, that's pretty amazing. And just the, the inside, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how you get the banana pudding flavor into a cookie, but it does sound ridiculous. And so, um, what are your top selling cookies? Top selling is a chocolate chip, salted caramel brownie, um, banana pudding, caramel apple. Um, I'm looking at them right. I'm looking at the ones that we have up right now. Uh, so this year, I think molasses is going to hit it out of the park for us because it's one of my favorites. Um, have you ever had a, I'm sure, have you had a molasses cookie? I haven't had a molasses cookie, but uh, up north, uh, I grew up on the East Coast, we had a, mol- a lot of molasses and what we would call shoe fly pie. And so I love molasses, yeah. and I can't get any of it here in Colorado. So that's a, not that I've found anything to do with molasses, so I'm interested to hear this. So, But go on, I'm sorry to interrupt, okay. but I love no, no. molasses. No, you're, I mean, I, if, if you had had it, I could give you something to base it off of. So our molasses cookie is, I mean, it's, it's a traditional molasses cookie. Uh, uh, the way that I come up with a lot of my stuff is I'll look up um, recipes. Like I'll, I, cause I haven't, I've never been to, I've never been to a culinary school. So like I kind of have to come up with stuff on the fly and try to figure things out. Uh, one of my cousins, he actually graduated from the Cordon Blue in Orlando, so I'd call him whenever I first started and just kind of bounce some ideas off of him. And he would kind of be like, well, yeah, you need to do this, or you, have you tried this yet? And uh, either I had or I hadn't. Uh, but he was a good sounding board, too, once he graduated. Um, and I still call him every once in a while, but uh, since we've had the food truck, I've I've got a bunch of friends that, our our chefs and like they legit worked in restaurants and stuff i had like i have zero restaurant experience i've never i've never even waited tables plus tables or anything um but anyway the molasses cookie sorry to go off on that tear but uh the molasses cookie is kind of like a ginger snap but it's soft it's soft and chewy and i wanted it to have texture and not just be like a a soft like kind of flat cookie uh, so I, I roll it in a coarse ground sugar. So it's, um, you get the richness and that tanginess from the, from the molasses, but it's got enough spice in there. Uh, I'm pretty heavy handed and like, I want, I want my flavors. Like whenever people try our cookies, I want, I want them to be like, Whoa, like I haven't had anything like that. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm heavy on the spices and the flavors and stuff. Um, so it's, it's just like a super dense, chewy ginger snap. Uh, and it depends on how they're baked because we bake everything fresh every day. So, you know, if I'm working, 
I like mine a little bit softer sometimes, or uh, you might get them and they might have a little bit more of a stiff edge, but the center, the very center of it is always going to be super soft, but you should never get a snap off of the molasses. So that's why I call it a molasses and not a ginger snap. Yeah, because uh, we eat a lot of ginger yeah, we eat a lot of ginger snaps in our house as well. Uh, cookies are always in the household and oatmeal raisin and all that. But, yeah, the ginger snap cookies are harder. It's, I guess that's probably why I didn't really put it together, the snap, until you just said that, actually. It's kind of an obvious thing, but the cookie does snap. And I'm like, oh, well, that's why it's called a ginger snap. Like one of those <laughs> things that's right in front of your face and you don't even realize it until someone explains it to you. So... Uh. Oh, it's funny that you say oatmeal raisin because I get people asking me for that all the time. I don't make any. Yeah, well, and and I, I do that. Do what now? Uh, well, I said, and I'm myself, you said about raisins, and uh, I'm not a huge raisin fan myself either, um, but uh, Deborah loves oatmeal raisin cookies, so they're around all the time. But uh, my, uh, my stepdaughter's well, Zoe. I've, and... I've got something for the answer for those. So I make an oatmeal rum raisin and i also put a little bit of orange in it so people come in and ask for oatmeal raisin i'm like i don't make that but here try this and the reason i did that is because i whenever i first that was also one of my earlier cookies um i didn't i don't like i don't want people to come into my store and be like oh let me get a peanut butter cookie sorry i don't have that i have peanut butter banana you're welcome to try it so we sample all of our cookies because i know some of them are out there but uh the reason i I did craisins over raisins because I looked them up and I looked up like different studies and stuff. And people prefer the taste of craisins to raisins because they have that tartness to them. And they're also a little bit better for you nutritionally. (laughs) So anyway. Uh, I don't know if anyone Um, ever would want a healthy cookie, but I I see where it's going. And I I think because raisins are so traditional in there, I like the craisin. And you mentioned orange in there. And the audience is going to laugh at me because I think I mentioned this about every other podcast because I've fallen in love with Satsuma oranges coming out of Georgia and, um, and they're like no other mm-hmm. orange. So I don't know, maybe there's an, a Satsuma orange cookie in, in the future there um, for you because I'm like, if someone, I, I'm like, there are so many things you could do with these Satsuma oranges and they're like no other orange I've ever tasted in my life. And, uh, and like literally, I'll spend like three times as much at the grocery store here in Colorado to have uh, the Satsuma oranges. And uh, Deborah's like, you know, you can get a regular orange, yeah, but and it's like you can peel it all at once, and so and it just tastes so much better and it's sweeter. And anyway, so I'm assuming when you put orange pieces in, I get it. I, uh, I mean, is it just? actual chunks of oranges or how do you get i mean that's where i'm like okay so the craisins dehydrated so it can be baked in a cookie but do you actually use raw apples then in in the apple um one you mentioned as well as you mentioned orange so how do you do you dehydrate it beforehand how does that work so the apples um we get uh dried fuji apples uh and they're already dyed so whenever I first started, I was buying dehydrated. Uh, whenever I first made them, I used freeze-dried apples because they had a lot of flavor. But whenever you bake something freeze-dried, the part where your cookie dough is covering it, it tastes good. Like it almost rehydrates it because the butter from your cookie goes into the apple and like rehydrates it. So then you've got a 
a buttery chunk of apple in it. And that was good, but the parts that were exposed, they just kind of burnt. So yeah. I was like, ah, I'm not, I don't like that. So I got uh, dehydrated apples and I chopped them up. Um, and now I just use uh, diced, dried apples. And for the, the oatmeal rum craisin, uh, I don't actually use chunks of apple. I use an uh, orange, orange. I don't use chunks of orange. I use, use like an, uh, an orange extract. I've tried a few different things. I've used uh, orange bitters. I've used uh, an orange liqueur. Uh, I've used orange extract, and I mean, I just, I don't know. I kind of picked picked out my favorite from that um, because I just, I don't, I don't even. We don't even say that it has orange in it um, because I wanted it to be something subtle. Because I like to have flavors in the cookies that people are like, oh, oh man, what. What is that? Like, I, there's something else in there that I'm tasting, and I, I like, I don't know exactly what it is. And so I, I love that kind of stuff. Like, uh, we do a jalapeno corn cookie. I mean, it's we we do so much crazy stuff here. It is. It, I really enjoy making new recipes. Like, uh-uh. I've got a uh, uh, like an old composition notebook, the old black and white one. I've got like. A, like several pages of just different cookie ideas that I want to try. Um, and since we've opened the store, I haven't been able to try them as fast as I would, as maybe I want to, but uh, that's a good thing. I, I enjoy making the ones that I have. All it does is create more of a headache for me because it's like, if I hit it out of the park with one, it's like, what am I going to get rid of to bring this on? You know? <laughs> I mean, so that, you know, that becomes the thing is you only have so much time to cook so many cookies. Um, And so managing that, I mean, I guess you just, you rotate them. So people always have something new coming in, but you have your staples, like your chocolate chip to make sure that people come in the door. I mean, how do you manage that? Or, I mean, you discussed it a little bit, but you're obviously rotating cookies because you can't possibly produce 30 some cookies every day or, or have them in the cabinet. So, I mean, how do you, so, is it just to go with the flow or what becomes popular then? Or you try to make it seasonal? I mean, like pumpkin spice cookie, I guess would be an example, but yep. you know, how do you manage all of that? Yeah. Uh, so we do have seasonal stuff and it's crazy because I'm like, okay, like, uh, we make a, you know, Watergate salad. Is. Have you ever heard of that? No, uh, say that again. It's a it's a, a Watergate salad. Oh uh, no, Watergate salad. I don't think so. Okay, what well, is a green, jello like pudding base dessert? Uh, I don't even know if I'd call it a dessert. It's more of like a side item uh, that you like. Down here, it's pretty popular, or at least it was sixty years ago, and it was something that my grandmother always made. It's a uh, pistachio pudding. It's got pecan, pistachio, coconut pineapple and marshmallow and you do just a little bit of uh like seven up or some sort of lemon lime uh, soda in it whenever you mix it up and then you let it set so it looks gross to most people but it's it's just a green congealed salad uh it's kind of like uh ambrosia yeah or there's another one i can't remember anyway 
Actually, uh, I, I made a cookie. When you said that, and uh, I wasn't, I'm like, oh, God, it sounds like we're starting to get some. Once you said the pistachio pudding, I was like, okay, and maybe I remember this. But once you said about putting the seven up in there, I'm like, it's vaguely familiar when I was a kid. Um, but anyway, so how did you get that into a cookie? <laughs> Very carefully. <laughs> so uh, I don't typically like to use any kind of process anything. Uh, and I looked into making my own pistachio pudding stuff, but it would have take it would probably take like ten hours to do this, do it from scratch. So to give a a, a trade secret from big boys, I do use a uh, Jello pudding mix for that one. And um, it, you'd use that and flour, sugar, butter. Uh, and I, I don't know. I just I put everything in it uh, kind of um, already like the pistachio, coconut, pecans. Like I've measured out everything uh, to have the ratios that I think that we need for our cookies. And then I do put just a little bit of lime in on the back end of it. And it is a very popular cookie. Like it's our spring, our first spring cookie like it comes out at the end of uh february or the first of march and people that like it they're like oh my god it's the best cookie why don't you have this year round but it's because like people that love it they love it but it's like you don't like it you're not going to eat it and the biggest drawback to it i think is uh the coconut because coconut will separate family yeah no that's true <laughs> and that it's is not true. the flavor of coconut it's not the flavor of coconut, it's the texture. And so to get around this, I, I use flavored uh, coconut and we toast it a little bit. So it brings out a little bit more of that flavor, but it's still coconut and it still has that kind of uh, gritty, like sawdust kind of feel in your mouth. But I like coconut. I like the flavor of it and I like the texture. Like it doesn't bother me. Um, but a lot of people, they won't, they won't buy it. They're like, oh. We lost knit coconut. So yeah, it's a hit or miss do, for me. We let it run. It's a hit or miss. Do coconut's what? an inter- coconut's an inter- interesting thing for me. I'm starting to get back in the coconut a little bit because Deborah likes it so much. But I don't know. It's a it is it's a texture thing for me. I don't like it on my cakes. I don't like it on my like. I will not. I will avoid it in some cases. Yet in other cases, like. I don't know. As a sweet, I think I don't like it. But when it's actually cooked into food, I've seen a lot of it starting to be cooked into food and coconut rice and stuff like that. I like it. So um, if it has a balance of salt and sweet in the coconut, I really enjoy it. But if it's just coconut, I don't know. That's interesting that you say that because it does divide families. Really, I was like the outcast in my family growing up because I didn't like coconut on my cake and stuff. Yeah. So I was like, well, it's too bad for you. You're not getting any cake. And I, I mean, that's how much I was like, okay, I don't want it. <laughs> it was like that and black licorice, like, and growing up in an Italian family oh. where Sambuca is basically, you know, black licorice and, and not being able to, you know, another thing. So I had a double whammy coming down on me, but I like what you're doing and I didn't I'm, want to I'm, interrupt. I'm, but. I'm with you 100% on black licorice. I have been wanting to do some sort of chocolate and a nice kind of something, something to try to bring that in, and I just I can't bring myself to do it. I every I bought a bottle of extract, and every time I open it and I smell it to try to think of like different stuff that would pair 
maybe it just makes me want to gag. <laughs> I'm like, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. <laughs> I know. I don't know what it is so. about it, but we were in, uh, I think it was Sweden or, or maybe it was Norway, Deborah and I, a couple years ago, and we went into a candy shop and it was nothing but, uh, I can never say it, anise or anise um, candy. Mm-hmm. Like a whole store, like like stacks like 50 high of these things that you shovel out different types of candy that it was mixed in and in different flavoring and it was nothing but that and i'm like how is it that popular but literally the store was packed people are filling up bags full of different types of candy and i'm like there's just some people that love it i guess and some people that don't i guess it's like the coconut conversation but uh i don't know it'd be i I I agree with you i can't i can't i can't get into it i've tried and I, it, I remember growing up. You remember the scented markers? Yep, yep. Uh, I don't even know if they still have those or not. They're probably illegal because they probably cause brain damage or something. But like they had them when I was a kid. And the black licorice one is the one that you would always smear on your buddy yeah. to make him gag. <laughs> yeah, that is so true. Actually. <laughs> you bring bringing back memories so, there. Actually, that's just so true. Like that's the one you would just. Just, oh, man. And actually, and if you knew someone didn't like it since they knew I disliked it, you know, that would happen also. And I actually think when I was in college, um, here's a vulnerable story, is that I I think at one night when I had too much to drink, um, a a kid in my fraternity actually used one of those markers and colored all over my face with it because he knew I disliked the smell. So there (laughs) there was that. Now, mind you. That I, I w- that was my, f- I think it was my freshman or sophomore year. I never drank that much ever again after that in college because I was like, if that can happen to you, this is that's the worst thing ever. So embarrassing. But I'm sure plenty of people have yeah. been drawn on. Um, and oh, yeah. so, uh, God, that I can't believe I just admitted that. But it's, uh, but it did happen. And in one of my early stages of college, trying to figure myself out out of the nest. But so I know you have a. A trailer also, or it's a cookie trailer, right? And and a store. So which one came first? Did you do the cookies on the road first, and in the store? And I guess if we really want to tell the story, how did you decide to? I mean, you talked a little bit about it, but you, I mean, it's a giant leap, right? You sort of, all right, I'm out of sales. I'm going fully in the cookies. So did the trailer come first or the store? The trailer came first, and the way that it happened, I can—I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. In the in like January of 2016, me and my wife—it was either January or February—we uh, went to Williamsburg, Virginia, um, because she had never been to like Jamestown or any of that stuff. Uh, and if you've never been, it's colonial Jamestown. We both love history and all that kind of stuff. And I had been when I was a child, but anyway, we went up there. And I was in, I was back in school to become an RN, uh, so that I, I was going back to nursing school to become a drug rep because I couldn't get a job as a drug rep, even though I had made a lot of connections. I mean, I made decent money doing what I was doing. Like I had, I had made better sales than some of the, uh, more seasoned veteran drug reps, um, because I was always honest with people. Anyway, uh, February of 16, no, it had to be January. Hang on, I'm getting my dates mixed up. Okay, we 
got the trailer in February of 16. So we had to have started on it in January because they built it in six weeks. Um, so it must have been the end of December or something like that. But we went to Williamsburg and we get there. <laughs> first time in like 25 years, they closed down like 80% of it to rebuild some stuff. So we take this like nine hour trip to go to Williamsburg and check out the little colonial stuff and half of it was closed. <laughs> I was like, well, that's great. But anyway, we talked about it the whole way up there because me and my wife have always just, we've been able to talk. It's like, you know, I mean, she really is one of my best friends and being able to talk to someone for like eight or nine hours after you've lived with them for several years, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, I mean, we're, I'm blessed. I can just, I can almost say, um, and I want to, uh, I want to take that tangent. So let's explore that a little bit, uh, with your wife and yours relationship. Cause I love that the talking for nine hours. And I think really people don't understand the connection and the support that you have as an entrepreneur. I think, and what you have there. So I want to talk about that because I have the same thing with Deborah where, you know, still all these years later, we can talk for hours on end and, and time still flies by like, you know, when we first met. So, mm-hmm. you know, tell me about your wife I mean, and yours relationship and, and the business and all of that and, and her support for you. Um, so Hannah is my wife. We, we got married in, uh, June, June 2nd, 2012. Um, so we've been married now seven years, uh, almost seven. Anyway, we met, we met a few times, like before we actually dated, uh, and it never, like the timing never really worked out. And I graduated nursing school and I saw her and her mom, uh, having lunch somewhere and like I told you earlier her dad and my cousin are like they grew up together um, which he's like 25 years older than me uh, and he he's the king of always trying to embarrass me and he's like yeah well I tried telling Johnny he needed to take Ken out on a date and I said she's always got a boyfriend and her mom goes well she doesn't right now and so I was like all right, you want to go out? You got, let me get your number. And she gave it to me. She was like giggly and all that stuff. But, uh, I'm five and a half years older than her. So I don't know. It, it, uh, we went out and at that point I was 26 and she was barely 21. And I don't know, you know, that doesn't sound like that much of an age gap, but it is. You know, you've ex- I've ex- I had experienced a lot of life at that point. Yeah. And she she had always lived at home. Um, I had moved out, I mean, more than once. I did move back in with my parents whenever I went to nursing school because I figured it was smarter to just live at home and focus on school than it was to try to, live somewhere on my own, pay rent and do all that. They just, my parents are great. Um, always, most of the time supportive. Sometimes it's like, why are you doing that? That's stupid. <laughs> but that's just being, being real with you. Um, but anyway, uh, we dated 
we started dating like we had you know how the kids are always like oh yeah well, we're just talking yeah so we talked in air i'm doing air quotes here <laughs> we talked for like a month and finally i was like hey uh i just need to know like are we like is this like an exclusive thing are we because she didn't really she didn't date anybody else or anything or she wasn't talking to anybody that i knew of but i was just like look are you serious about this you know uh because i'm not wasting my time you know, I'm, I'm, I won't, I really like you, uh, which I, I, since you shared something vulnerable, I'll share something vulnerable. I almost could not say I love you the first time, which psychotically we'd only been dating like a month, but I already knew in my heart yeah. that, that I had, that she was something special and I sort of stammered through it and she laughed at me and then she's like, I mean, I, I, I love you too. But yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that first time anybody says it, it in the movies and stuff, it's always just thrown around because I think a lot of times people do it to try to get something out of it. But I was saying it from the heart with no expectation of anything, you know, and it's, that's been our relationship. Like we've, and and I can trust, like, I trust her. She's always there. She's always honest with me. And that, I mean, that's huge. Uh, and she has been super supportive of, of me. Like, even whenever we were first getting started, she's like, listen, I'm a nurse. You know, we, I can make enough money to support us if, so you can build this company. <clears throat> so we, uh, we got a loan to the food trailer. And then that we went from there. But that, that trip we went on to Williamsburg, we talked about it. And I had said something to her dad, like, a month before this, we had all went out to eat. And I was telling him, I started watching, like, next the Food Truck Net, Food Network, the Food Truck Stars or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, man, you know what? I was like, nobody, I have never seen a cookie truck. Like, and I was like, you know, I can make really good cookies, but if we could bake them fresh at an event and sell it with like milk, I, oh man, we, I think we do good. And so he's like, well, how much do you think that would cost? And I just shut it down because I was like, I'm not taking any money from anybody to start something like that. Yeah. And on that trip, she was like, do you really think that you could make cookies and make a living baking cookies? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I think we could. And she's like, well, let's let's figure out exactly what all we need. Uh, you know, money. How much money is it going to cost to get going? And at the time, doing it from the house, you can you can bake and do things under a cottage food license up to a certain level. Um, but <clears throat> to sell like to the general public and to get your stuff into stores, you have to have certain things for your house so we have two german shepherds and two cats and for us to remodel the house we were probably looking somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 or fifty thousand dollars. and i was like that that's just crazy i was like you know we could get a food truck yeah. instead of doing that you know we could we could get a whole thing and then we could go to the places and sell to people you know we could expand our brand that way and she's like, yeah, 
I mean, that's, that's, that's really a good idea. So we started looking into it. Um, we got along. We got everything going. We had our food truck by February. We were doing our first event in March of 2016. It's, um, it's amazing. She's always been like more of the back end of the house kind of stuff. Like she, she designed and wrote our entire first website, which she, <laughs> oh gosh, she, um, she had one grammatical error on the page. She put, uh, sale instead of sales. So she put S E L L instead of S A L E. And this woman wrote us an ugly letter saying that our grammar on our entire page was so atrocious that if she had ever looked at it before she bought a cookie, she would have never done any business with it. And like it, like my wife was just like floored. Like she was like, Oh my God. And she erased, she like just delete the entire thing that she had worked on for like a month like she just beep. and we had like so she's got a lot of family that like educators and stuff one of her aunts is a uh, an english major or she she does like she teaches english at college and stuff anyway she read through it she's like literally that's the only thing that was wrong <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know man i mean dealing with the public and stuff Sometimes you get people like that, and you know we're, we're big on customer service. Um, so, you know, I think that could have been handled a little bit differently. But uh, yes, some people okay. just throw stones, I guess. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm never gonna. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good at grammar and, and spelling and stuff like that. But my, you know, I don't ex- exactly speak in any great form, or and I mix up sayings all the time, and. Uh, you know, and if Deborah and I are in a conversation or a heated conversation and she uses a big word, it's not even fair because I, my vocabulary, like I'm all numbers and math and business and all that. And she's got this very diverse vocabulary and it's just like, it's not even fair because I don't even like it. It really yeah. causes a pause because I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, how am I supposed to even <laughs> have this conversation when I don't even know what you're saying? But it's, um, but I think for for someone to pick something out and not to be constructive i think it's hard because when you run a business and your food entrepreneurs like you guys are or like deborah and i are and, and the business when people comment on they don't realize you're putting your whole blood sweat and tears and every ounce of money you have and and everything into these dreams and like you're exposed you're fully exposed to the world and it's a little oh, bit yeah. hard 100 percent. and the first comment or criticism is always the hardest i think in in any business or any new venture i know when i I've, I've got a i got a few comments on on my earlier episodes of the podcast and i was like oh my gosh you know wow and i didn't really i had been in this business long enough to know that everyone who's um who eats i should say which is every human being feels they know about food better than than mm-hmm. anyone else so you know, criticism and all that. It, it's a little bit different. It's an open world. Like I could never comment on someone making a microchip in Silicon Valley because I have no idea. But food, everyone eats and they have their own palate so they can comment on things. And so you open up yourself yep. in the food beverage world um, of entrepreneurism to every person's opinion because every person eats and drinks. So it's this crazy thing, but to pick on the grammar, I, you know, versus just saying it, you know, that's a little bit harsh, but people do it. You know, people want to point it out. And what, 
misspelling a word has to do with the flavor of the cookies, I will never know. But it's uh, it's one of those things that I can relate to for sure. Uh, and, and a misspelling or, or writing an email without a comma properly and getting someone's fierce um, comment back. I was like, you spend more time writing the thing than actually it was worth the amount of time it would take for us to just change it. So, um, yeah. I can relate to that a lot. So, so from the trailer, it's hard, but go ahead. It, it's hard to accept criticism, but I think if you take, because some people do it like to like just trouble you or whatever, but if you can look at it and try to take the attitude off of it, because a lot of times we read things, especially criticisms with like a lot of edit, attitude. And I think that if you can be like these cookies, like they're like, my cookie was burnt. Like if they said that, I mean, if they publicly said it, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm sorry you didn't like that, which I don't, if, if we burn a pan of cookies, typically I'm, I'm not going to sell it. Like I was going to say typically we won't sell it, but I've never sold like a pan of burnt cookies. Uh, some of them might be slightly over, but we've never like burnt cookies like if we do we put them in the back and either the employees can have them or i'll uh i I give them away like i won't sell them you know what i mean um and if nobody wants them my brother's got hogs on his farm and they they love them (laughs) (laughs) there you go uh, anyway yeah and we got the food truck in 2016 and it is a full commercial kitchen so instead of remodeling the house and doing all this and that, I was like, let's get a truck or a trailer because the trailer's cheaper than the food truck. And the, there's pros and cons to having a food truck versus having a trailer. If I had to do it over, I would probably lean more towards getting a full-on food truck. It would have probably ended up costing me another twenty grand or so. But the ability to pull up turn your truck off, turn around and start working versus getting to an event, trying to back into a space, maneuver uh, basically 50 feet of that splits in the middle, trying to get that in. And then you got to get out, level it, unhook it, you know, get everything going. Then you can start working. It, it's just, it's, it's a it's a lot more challenging to do it with a trailer. Now I've gotten pretty damn good at backing the trailer up and uh, parking stuff. Uh, like there there's a a convention center in Savannah, and our trailer's eight foot wide, and the space to back it to well to pull in, I it's about eight and a half feet wide, and it's on a curve. Like it's a slight, just enough to like mess with you curve and i got to an event down there and i was running a little late typically i try to get there like if they're like setups between 7 a.m and 10 10 a.m i try to get there at 7 well i got there at like nine o'clock or 8 30 or 9 and there was already like three food trucks there and there was no way for me to pull in and turn around and the security guard's like i mean you might have to try to back it in I said, look, I'm pretty good with this trailer. I was like, I'm bad, but I don't know if I'm that bad. And they're like, come on, we'll walk with you. Well, I walked, I 
they walked next to me like and was like, all right, you're good, you're good. I didn't, if they hadn't been there, I might could have done it, but with people there, I did it. And they were like giving me high fives, like, oh my God, nobody's ever done that. <laughs> so it just, it makes life a little bit more difficult with a trailer. Uh, but if, if my, my truck that I pull the trailer with breaks down, I have the option of going and getting another truck, yeah. you know, either renting, renting a truck or calling one of my friends and like, Hey man, I need your truck. Can I use it for the day or, you know, for the weekend? I mean, I've, I know enough people that half the time I thought, yeah, ain't no problem. Um, but if your food truck breaks down, you're either going to have to tow it or you're going to have to put it in the shop and just miss the event. So, I mean, pros and cons, man, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. If, if we get another one, I want to get another food truck, like a smaller one that we can do little pop-up events and stuff with, and it'll be a driver. That's I, one of our goals. for. I love that idea the of the pop-up. And uh, so from there, when did you open up the store then, when did, uh, there in Statesboro? Okay, so food truck in February of 16, we opened our storefront in Statesboro. Uh, in September of 2017. So we're a little past our uh, one-year anniversary on that. And I'm going to tell you, man, going from the food truck to the store, I can't explain to anyone, like, how difficult that was. Because on the food truck, I made everything myself. I, I made every cookie that went out the door, I made. It was all handmade, hand-scooped, uh, one at a time, I mean, one batch at a time, and I would typically work on the food truck because there's no windows in it. I mean, I wasn't going to open the window at the house. Uh, but to have it at our house, we had to put in a, uh, a power box, and we had a, a, a drain put in for our gray water. Um, but anyway, it's windowless, so I would go out there at like 11 o'clock in the morning, and I would probably work until – four or five a.m. the next day so i would work for like i don't know how many like 18 hours i would usually work about 18 hours three days a week making dough and the most i ever made by myself i think i made uh nine or ten batches of cookies and i typically get anywhere from 130 to 170 cookies out of a batch just depends on what what cookie it is so, I mean, I've, I've made over a thousand cookies in a day by myself, scooping them and putting them up and everything. Um, so it going from that to trying to work with people and teach them how to scoop, because you would think like you just scoop a cookie and keep on rolling with it. But it's, it's more of a technique. You know, you have to be like, with this one, you need to allow for a little bit extra or this is how they need to set on the pan uh, when you're freezing them or whatever. And just going from that to like completely trying to delegate, because what happened is the day before it was either a day or two before our official grand opening, we had built out the store and I, I like building stuff too. Um, and I, I built the, uh, the frame for the display case that we had the cookies in. I redid the, uh, counter, uh, um, for the, that we have like our point of sale and all that stuff. I built the, uh, the back counter 
that has all of our cookie boxes and stuff like that in. Um, and on that one, I actually took a, a shelf out of an old food truck or out of a step van, which is what they make into food trucks. I took one of those aluminum shelves out, uh, took all the uh, braces and everything off the bottom, and I polished out the top of it. It took me like a week to do it, but it's cool and like, like nobody's ever going to notice because it looks just looks like like a metal top. But like that little detail to me is cool, and nobody will ever know. But anyway, uh, we did a a tongue and groove multi-stained cedar wall as like a feature wall in the store, and I was building that out. I built like a subframe for the wall, anchored that to the existing wall, and then um, I built this up. And I was standing on top of a four foot ladder on the thing that says, do not stand here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was up there and I'd been doing it like all day, like, I, well, not all day on that one, but it wasn't a, a big deal. Like, I didn't think it was anyway. And I had like two, one or two rows left. I was like four boards from being completely done with this wall. And it was like somebody kicked the ladder out from under me. And, like, we were just trying to get ready and everything. Hannah was up here with me, uh, like, getting stuff ready. And I landed on my hip and my elbow, my right arm. And that was, like, so I was in a sling for, like, the first six weeks that we were open. Uh, And it was killing me because, like, I, I was not very good at delegating. And I was the only one that really knew how to bake, like, a lot at one time. Um, So our grand opening, I was kind of out front trying to meet everybody and talk to them and tell them thanks for coming out and everything like that. And I just noticed that, like, cookies weren't coming out quite as fast as I thought they should or that they could. So I came in the kitchen, and the guy that I had been working with to bake and stuff, like he only had like one or two pans of cookies in there at a time because that's, that's how he knew how to do them. Like, and I was like, no, man, we gotta, we gotta slam this thing. Like we got to So we turned the oven up a little bit and like, we really started cranking out the cookies and, uh, man, it, that, that was awesome. But I learned it, that falling off the ladder sucked, but it also taught me you can't do it yourself. Yep. You have to depend on the people that you hired to do the job that you hired them to do. Like you can't, it, it made me uh, really appreciate having someone else there that could help me. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't think that if I had, if I hadn't fell off the ladder, it would probably be a different story. Like, I mean, you know, uh, I probably wouldn't have learned as fast how to delegate and how to, you know, you can't tell somebody that's never done it. Hey, I need you to go in there and bake 20 dozen cookies. You know, you got to go in there with them. You got to stand there with them and do it with them and all that. And it just, once they know, then it's like a lot, you know, you you can trust them to do it and they feel comfortable doing it. And I think in getting someone comfortable doing the job that you've hired them to do, I mean, that's like, that's 90% of it. Training them isn't that bad. It's once they feel comfortable doing it that, uh, uh, that, um, it's better. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's and so, about building confidence for sure and empowering them, but they, it takes time and it's, it's like that. And so much to do with food. People just assume because the way they do things at home, that it's, it's easier to train people and stuff in food. It's actually, I think one of the most complicated things like weight and size and, you know, things all way different 
differently and all scoop differently and, and things like that. So it's hard to really, you know, keep it on par, um, when training someone had to, you know, and the only way they can learn is experience and doing it over and over again in, in, now in coaching and all that. But the other part that I want to talk about is, um, what you mentioned, which is, you know, falling on your hip and your shoulder. I mean, it looked like a horrible thing, but you kind of never know when you're having a good day. And through that, you know, fate, I will say you learn to be a better manager and a better delegator, uh, because you were forced to, and it's just like something got put in your way that a hurdle that you had to overcome, but you know, it wasn't something that you had to do on your own. You were forced to, you know, in a way. So I think that happens to a lot of people in the entrepreneurial world, or at least it happens to me when I need to learn something or something like that. If, if I don't learn it by keep coming in front of me, you know, there's a harsh lesson that comes along and just, like you said, falling off a ladder or, or life changing thing that happens. And I'm like, okay, well now I don't have a choice, you know, especially in the work world and, and being an entrepreneur, like something happens and I'm like, all right, well, if I have avoided looking at this and, and, uh, I actually, or I didn't even know this existed in my personality. Now I really got to face it and figure mm-hmm. it out. So I think that's, uh, awesome that you mentioned it. And so that all, that all being well, said, so what are some of the, the hardships you've had, um, you know, now that you've opened the store, what are, you've, you've talked about the employees and, and getting them trained, but you know, what have been some of the other difficulties you've had? Oh man. So opening a store in a college town, uh, I, I thought about this, but like it didn't really register until, uh, we had it happen here. And that, that whenever a class graduates or a semester ends and students graduate, this town empties by about 20,000. So every J month, January, June, July, like there's almost no one here. So those are like our slowest months of the year. Uh, so that, I mean, really that's it. And, and we have a lot of turnover with our employees because it's like, you know, hiring new people is, you have to go through the interview process and all that stuff. And then it's like, once they like really get it and they're like all-star employees, it's like, uh, Hey, I graduate this summer and I'm, I'm leaving. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. You know? And so it's, it's just like, well, I guess let's start this process all over again. Um, and it, that, I mean, it's, it's disheartening. And I mean, you get your heart broke really because it's like you're, you're pouring, all this knowledge into them and you're working with them and it, it, they just in a small business, it feels like family. And it's like, Hey, uh, thanks for the last couple of months. But like, I'm actually out. Yeah. You know, and I know sometimes, uh, I feel like people are, they're, they're upset about it too, but it's like, they're not trying to make a career, uh, <laughs> at a cash register. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I get it. And like, it, I, I try not to, really take it to heart but i mean sometimes you you lose employees that you really care about and you know there's some i probably shouldn't say this but there's some that if they leave it's like okay you know best of luck and then sometimes it's like well i mean i wish you the best but you really i don't know you know what i mean like sometimes you just get along with people and it feels like they're part of your family and you know they're just right there with you for through thick and thin of it 
Yeah, I think that uh, some people just um, work like it's their own and dedicated and lead, and then others just come to work just to do their job. And then there's the whole thing of, you know, when you really do have great employees and people that do work hard, it's only natural that they grow and they outgrow your business and you, which is always the toughest part because you put all this time and effort into them. And, you know, it is tough. And so you got to have the attitude when you have the really good ones is sort of like, what can I do to help you grow? Because I know you're going to be moving on to bigger, better things, but I want to make sure that I help you get to your full potential while you're here. And that's just so hard because then you're also investing more in them because you know their potential. And, uh, and then they usually leave voids. And in, in, in my experience, it's like you have great employees, great thing, and then they move on and they grow. And then there's this weird void that happens, and it takes you a while to get another great employee like that that is part of the family, like you said. And uh, it's always interesting. Yeah. And it does hurt. You know, some, I, I used to take it a lot more personal as a, a, when I was a much younger and when I first started. Um, as an entrepreneur and in, in food and all that, like how much time? And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you, how could you leave us? You know? And, but now it's like, okay, I understand it's part of the growth and I want people to grow. If I can help people grow and go make the world a better place, particularly in food, you know, I'm all for it, but yeah. it took me a while to get there. And it was one of those things I had to fall off the ladder to use an analogy like five times mm -hmm. before I'm like, okay, well, this is always going to happen and I need to look at it differently. I need to hold it differently and I need to, you know, really just invest in the employees because they're worth investing in. And the ones who want to learn, I'm going to help them learn and, and help them grow and, and whatever. So it's, uh, it's interesting. And, you know, we used to talk about an open door policy a lot at work and now it's like we've shifted into an open heart policy. You know, it's more like, you know, we're here, we're going to give you whatever you need, you know, both personally and learn in your job. And we're here for you and we're family. And it's up to you whether or not you want to be a part of that. But my heart is always open to you guys to talk or to, to educate you or mentor you. And, you know, that's a, a big difference. And it's always amazing to me because I'm, you know, I would say like 80% of the time, um, I'm accurate about someone and whether or not they're going to be a superstar or not within the first couple of days of working with them. But every once in a while, there's this person that comes along or reaches out or asks to be mentored or really just turns it around once they, they learn the business. And there's these 20% of people that just blow you away. And the shift in watching them grow is just so amazing as a, as an entrepreneur and as a business person. And I feel like it's really giving back and helping the world in a way and, and educating the next yeah. generations and you're doing it right in a college campus. So it's gotta be even more intense than that. And, and I've tried, I've, I've started doing that some, um, like if one of the girls that I, that's working for me right now, she, um, she's an international student. She's amazing. Uh, but I know that she's, she's, uh, HR major at the, uh, she's, she's major, majoring in human resources and stuff like that. So I'm part of a, uh, an international network. I think like it's, uh, it's called Business Networking International at BNI. Um, I've been in that for about two years now. And basically what it is, is there's local chapters all over the world. Uh, 
and I think Savannah has several. I'm sure you've got some in Denver. Have you ever heard of it? A uh, long time ago, I've, I've been to a few events when I used to live on the East Coast. So I am familiar with it, but yeah. I don't think the audience is. So if you want to explain it to them, that'd be awesome. So B&I, what it allows you to do is their, their thing is lock out your competition because for every chapter, you can only have one person for each professional classification. So like for my chapter, I'm a baker. And in Savannah, there's not, not really any other bakers in those chapters. Uh, but like if you were a real estate person or you do catering, if you get into a chapter, what it's supposed to do is help you grow your business through referrals. So you make weekly meetings, a commitment to be there every week. And, um, you know, you make a commitment to, you basically have to do outside the meeting. You have to meet with, people inside your chapter um, to sort of grow that relationship and stuff. But if anyone in the chapter, uh, like if they needed cookies, they would call me and say, Hey, I need four dozen cookies or uh, I've got some clients that I think that you would work out really well with. Or um, one of my friends owns the grocery store and he's looking for a specialty product. So that would be, those are referrals that you gather from B and I. And you, it allows you to track it through your company or through, through, the, through the business networking international. Like they have an app that you can track uh, where your business is coming from through the group. Uh, I mean, it, it's pretty good. But anyway, uh, I tell any of the people that work for me, like, I know you're not going to be here forever. Like, I, I, whenever we first opened, I, was, I don't know what I was thinking, but I was just like, yeah, you guys, you know, Y'all just work here and it'll all be great. But now what I've tried to start doing is offer like, hey, I know that your major is this. So if I've got someone in my B&I group that does something similar. If you want to come with me to this group, you can. Or if you want to talk to this person that's in the field that you're trying to go into, you know, I try to offer stuff like that for, for them to uh, grow, I guess. Um, because, you know, you, you think, oh, well, I want to be, I don't know, uh, like she's wanting to do human resources. But if you talk to someone in human resources and you see all the difficulties and stuff like that that they have, then you might be like, well, I'm only in my junior year or my freshman year. I might want to change and do something different. But, I mean, she loves what she does, and she's really been an asset for our company. And I think she's going to do great. Um she also has the international student thing. Um, and what I have found is typically an international student has a little bit more driven uh, work ethic. Uh, uh, yeah, so. that's uh, that's uh, what Deborah and I talk about that quite a bit. We've, uh, though we've uh, sort of destroyed the work ethic in our in our youth a little bit uh comparatively which is why another reason i do this podcast honestly is trying to encourage as many entrepreneurs to work with youth and raise them up as possible and particularly their own kids and things like that because it i like some of the people that come in the door and i'm like and complain about working seven to eight hours i'm like you have no idea what it's like you know and and it's just, it's a little bit scary, actually. It actually scares me quite a bit, which is like, you have this generation that I believe could be the 
greatest generation of all time because they have so much technology at their fingertips and so much efficiencies. But, you know, how the work ethic behind it, like that's the part they got to get over and prove everyone wrong. They just got to go do it. And we've become, I hate to say it, lazier and lazier. But, you know, I was outside all the time. You know, I was outside working on my parents' farm and I was involved in my parents' business. And, you know, it was... Um, whatever I was doing, I was always active and it's, it's a little bit different now with, and we had video games. I just, you know, we were encouraged to be outside and wanted to be outside. So it's a little bit different. So I don't want to bash it, but I also, you know, I think there's potential there because there is so much at their fingertips. It's just whether or not what they're going to do with it as a whole. And I hope they do do something with it. And I hope they do realize and learn work ethic. But I think it takes entrepreneurs like us to teach it to them and uh, a lot of hard knocks. So, um, and as well as, go ahead. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard of Simon Sinek? No, I haven't. He's the guy that he, he talks about millennials and he, they, he was the guy that was on the video that like broke the internet or whatever. That was the problem with millennials. And then he went into how corporations and stuff run their companies with mass layoffs and all this and that. Like there's, there's, it, it teaches you to not have any sort of loyalty to the companies that are out there because if the company hits the hard patch, you're gone. Yep. And that started up in like the eighties. So that's why retention at a company is hard because it's like, well, you know, you're okay, but like I've been here for 10 years and I'm only doing this and you know, you're never going to move me from this position. And it's not, that's not a secure feeling. It's always the grass is greener. Yep. You know, so you, you don't, you don't retain people as much because it's all, they're always looking for something better. Yeah. It's hard. And anyway, I can't remember what all he says, but his, he, I think he may have a pod. He's been on several podcasts, but he's on YouTube also. And he does speeches. Uh, he's got a company that he like goes into businesses and, uh, teaches them how to work, use teamwork and stuff like that. But his stuff on millennials, he talks about the finite game versus the infinite game. Oh, I th- and that whenever oh, from- you play an infinite game, well, that I mean, he didn't come up with that theory. That that's yeah. uh, I can't remember who who made it, but he teaches here. He says that you should play the rules with a an infinite game mindset. He said if you do that and you invest in your employees and in your it, it's going to take you a lot farther in life than if you just look at the numbers because it's like, like we do here. I'm, I'm working on becoming a better leader and it's hard sometimes because I mean, we're still human by nature. So you're going to get upset about stuff. You know, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have good days, but it's just trying to come in and like show people appreciation and how much you appreciate them. And it may not be in a monetary sense where it's like, hey, you know what? You're doing a great job. I'm going to give you an extra $2 an hour. Yeah. You know, it's just like, hey, you're doing a great job, and I really appreciate you. Let me take you out to lunch. Something like that, you know? Uh, and I've, I've seen where, like, the attaboys and stuff like that is it's more meaningful to people than actual compensation to a certain point. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, I think it is to a certain extent. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'm, I'll be interested to see it. And I think if there's um, through things like podcasts and and you know education and knowledge becoming so much easily so much more accessible in the world um and people to learn and leadership and stuff like that like you know 20 years ago you'd have to go to a class to learn what we can learn on a podcast or you know a motivational podcast or a business podcast or we would have to go pay all this money for an education and now we can get it online and so i i'm hoping you know my hope is and and part of why we're doing this podcast also is because i'm hoping we can take the generation and make them more dedicated and loyal and, and better and more entrepreneurial and and reliant and dedicated because when you jump companies all the time i mean i see it on resumes like if someone comes to work for me and i see they jump companies all the time like one i'm not gonna like i'm less likely to hire you and i'm less likely to mentor you or help you become a better business person because while i want to help people and i do the problem is is I want someone who's not only I'm investing in, but is investing in me and my business as well. And it doesn't need to be a one-way street. And it's really, it makes you less competitive as a business person. Like that's something I've learned when you, mm-hmm. and I and I do know that the good ones have to grow and move on to better things. So don't get me wrong, particularly when you're young, but you know, which yeah. also is a two, you know, catch 22, because then if I want to keep them, I've got all this pressure on me as an entrepreneur to grow my business because the ones who are really great and, and are want to grow, I've got to create a business trajectory for my businesses where it's growing. So they grow along with it. But if I'm not growing, the ability to keep them is so difficult and it just becomes this whole game you play as as an entrepreneur or business owner and you're like you know to keep the good people you want to invest in them and it's the right thing to do and you want them to grow and you want them to be loyal but you then you know they can outgrow you so then you know what does that look like and then they jump jobs so it's uh yeah it's so difficult to manage in the world we live in it's become so easy for people to jump jobs and and people promote it but like you said nothing's ever long term anymore and uh it's not it's a to everyone it's a finite game uh or a finite time but if you live infinitely i feel like you become so much more experienced and knowledgeable and uh and that's not saying i haven't jumped jobs or i haven't started businesses and sold them or closed them or whatever and and jumped entrepreneurial ventures it's just um it's a hard thing. And I, I really, it's a good question that I don't fully know how to answer other than that. You know, now I've just gotten to a point, like I said, this open heart policy, whereas I'm just investing in as much as them as possible and hoping that, you know, they, the loyalty is understood in the entrepreneurial spirits and the work ethic is becomes ingrained in them and that family spirit. Um, so they're better mm-hmm. business people when they go out to work for someone else and carry that with them because, like you said, I think it's a lost art, um, especially since the 80s and, and what that looks like. Um, so as we start mm-hmm. to wrap things up, Johnny, I have one last question for you. Um, and we obviously didn't even get through half the questions that we, we do for prepping for the podcast. So definitely going to have you back on in, in eight to 10 months for you know an update. But why did you want to be on the podcast? I like what you do. I mean, talking to, so 
my dad is an entrepreneur. My father-in-law is an entrepreneur. So whenever I have asked them for advice on stuff, my dad's like, I have no idea about that industry because he's been in cars. His, since my dad was 12, he's been selling cars. My father-in-law is a pharmacist and they're great to bounce ideas off of and just basic business. But whenever it comes to like, Hey, what do you think about investing in this, this new, uh, 80 quart mixer? It's going to be about 10 grand. If I buy a used one, a new one's like $50,000 now, stuff like that. I'm obviously not going to spend 50 grand on a new mixer because that, that's insane for a small business just getting started. Uh, <laughs> whenever you can buy a used one way cheaper, that's just as good. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, just, uh, being on here and being a, able to talk to you and talk to people that are or have people hear my story might inspire someone else to do something which i never set out to inspire anyone to do anything but like i've had people like oh you know i started my business because i, I read about you and your backstory and it just you know it kind of inspired someone else to do something on their own and be creative and i don't know just just learning Hearing, talking to you and learning different ways to do things and uh, how to, I don't know, how to look at things by a different perspective and to get our story out there. You know, the more, the more, uh, the more out, I don't know, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say is, but the more exposed you are, the more business you can create. Yeah. So. It's well, a little selfish, but I, I mean, I really enjoyed talking to you. So uh, I enjoyed talking if, to you if as you well. If you would ask me back on it, would be because I like talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like talking to you too, and I, I feel you know there's a lot of things going on in Georgia and opportunities, and you're already part of a networking group. But I know a lot of people in Georgia are wanting like a the food entrepreneur networking and and things like that, and meetups mm -hmm. or, or events. So sort of this podcast and, and all the people we're talking to is spurring some of that as well. It's just, you know, when do we have time to do it? Obviously as entrepreneurs are running our own business and Deborah and I are talking quite a bit about it is how do we bring everyone together? Now we've sort of formed the platform to get the message out there, but now, you know, it's become more like also people want to learn from each other and meet each other. And now I, you know, I listened to podcasts before I got on and recorded with you. I can you introduce me to so and so, or how do we get you know a group of people together? I heard their podcasts. I want to pick their brain, and you know, I always encourage people to reach out mm -hmm. over social media and email them. And I know your social media is at Big Boys Cookies uh, for anyone in the audience, and I believe it's at bigboys.com dot com as well. Is that correct? Uh, bigboyscookies.com. Oh, sorry, com. I forgot the cookies part. And I don't know, I've, for some reason I was thinking Big Boys <laughs> as there used to be a restaurant chain called Big Boys. And uh, it, it popped in my head yeah, for a second. Really. And, um, yeah, but really, I really thank you really for being on them. the episode. <laughs> and uh, all the people in the audience, please, thank again, you. share what we're doing. And, and thank you guys. And um, this is Justin in the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm the host. And if you're interested in being on the podcast, you can reach out to me at justin at thefoodentrepreneurs.com. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>